Before I begin my first sermon, let me express a heartfelt thank you to you, Glyns and my new church family, for the extraordinary welcome and overwhelming kindness that you have poured out on us. Uh, we've been so touched by your embrace. You have placed a great deal of trust in me as your new rector, and I am moved and honoured by your expression of confidence. It's especially humbling to know that I am just the latest in a line of fruitful and excellent ministries. And although this is not an Oscars ceremony, but a sermon, I would make a quick expression of gratitude to Father Nathan for his leadership and devotion in the last 14 months. Father Nathan is not here this week, and he won't be actually for the next few weeks while he takes a well-deserved and much-needed vacation. And then, of course, there's the discernment committee and their extraordinary and painstaking work over many months. Now, I know that the whole process of calling a new rector is cloaked in confidentiality, and uh, so I want to share with you briefly what really went on in those <laughs> top secret meetings between Steve, Carol, Bing, Michael, Gail, Kevin, Laura, Kate, and Rosemary. You see, the process is rather like a courtship. Uh, the parish and the candidates usually meet online. So you took out an advertisement on a website, a kind of e-harmony where the E stands for Episcopal. <laughs> you said you were looking for a long-term relationship, that you were single, interested in fun dining and excellent music. <laughs> that you were 150 years old but had had a lot of work done. a great leader, a brilliant counsellor, a compassionate pastor, a dynamic evangelist, an inspiring preacher, an outstanding wit, a towering intellect, and a performer of miracles. <laughs> Starting with walking across the Hudson River and graduating to raising the dead. <laughs> and so we met online. Then you gave me a call and we talked for an hour. Then you called again and we talked for 80 minutes. We had our first date at the Reynolds place. <laughs> then you called me over again uh, before you let me examine by your picky parents, or the vestry as you call them, <laughs> for a final grilling. And by and by, we fell in love. <laughs> Then over the summer, you, you were proposed, and I giddily said yes. <laughs> Last Friday, we were married at a low-key private ceremony, and today, we're having the first big celebration. <clears throat> Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord and Redeemer. Amen. I was driving to work a few months ago when she glided into my life. She rocked my drive to work, waltzed into my dreary commute, and gilded my day. She was driving one of those SUVs that has the spare wheel fastened to the fifth door, 
Protecting this wheel was a plastic cover which demanded attention. Life is good, it screams from 30 feet away. And just to prove it, there was the image of a big daisy beneath the slogan. That wasn't the only message her car blared. There was a sticker in the back window. Cancer, you picked the wrong witch. Actually, it wasn't witch. <laughs> I was beginning to form a picture of the lady behind the wheel. She clearly had a great story and it was having an effect on me. Not only is life good, but I'm now smiling because of the window sticker. A minute later, and we both stop at a red light. And as I sit there, looking through the back window of the SUV, I see the driver waving her arms around wildly. I think she must be angry with someone, but I can see no one else in the car. Intrigued, I study her every move, and I realize she's dancing in the car. And not that sedate nodding the head in time to the music the way the rest of us dance in the car. This is passion and energy and abandon. She is tearing up the dance floor. It's not just her arms that are flailing around, her whole body is in motion. The SUV is jerking from side to side. I'm wondering how the suspension is going to cope. This is stop, but with fewer garbage cans. And there I am, shaken, not stirred, watching, thinking, Cancer, you pick the wrong witch. <laughs> she shimmies, she rumbers, she trips the light fantastic. She is Dances with Cancer. I don't know Dances with Cancer's real name. I don't know where she lives. I don't know if she is a person of faith or not. But she is my teacher. She tells me that life is a dance, and sometimes you get stuck with some ugly partners. Dancers who don't just tread on your toes, but punch you in the stomach, uppercut you to the chin, and then kick you as you sink to the dance floor and lie helpless on the cold, hard wood. Dances with Cancer did not choose her partner but she accepted its icy grip and sickening steps with a sure-footedness that made me gasp. If life is a dance, she put on her glad rags and laced up her shoes. Yes, Cinderella, you will go to the ball. Yet, some ugly dances are optional. An invitation drops through the letterbox and you have a decision to make. Do you reject your would-be partner's advances? Uh, you know, you're doing something more interesting that night, or uh, you don't know how to do that style of dancing, or perhaps more desperately, you're staying in to wash your hair. <laughs> then Jesus told his disciples, if any wants to be my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? How about 
dances with crosses. Jesus looked at his mortality in the face, lifted it to his shoulder, and freely chose to move with it. He took up his cross and he danced. We talk about having a cross to bear, an illness, a loss of some kind, a random and unpleasant set of circumstances beyond our control. But if the cross that Jesus was nailed to was a free choice on his part, and if the cross he calls us to take up is also an act of free will, then maybe we have been misusing that phrase. If our cross is a thing of choice, if it is this object of pain and self-denial that we freely choose in order to live the glorious life God calls us to, then what is your cross? What have you given up because you want to follow Christ? You see, we when we have goals, we sacrifice for them. We make tough choices that we know will involve discomfort, pain even. But we make those choices and we endure whatever hardship results because the goals we want are so precious. When that grim, even menacing partner stands before us and asks us to dance, we say yes. So what many crucifixions have you endured because your goal is Jesus? What item did you choose not to buy? What job did you turn down because although it would have given you more money or responsibility, it would have required you to act against your ethical standards? Or maybe it would have eroded God's gift of your self-esteem or your mental well-being? What evening did you sacrifice in order to serve under-resourced people? What weekend did you forsake because you knew it would make your neighbourhood better or your community more like the Kingdom of God? What relationship did you end because it was having a bad effect on your faith? What habit did you kick because it was stopping you from being the beautiful person God knows you are? I know you do these things. I believe each of us here has stories of how we have heard the invitation to dance with our crosses and we have responded by picking them up and waltzing. And I can't wait to hear your story. I know that you take up that cross freely and you do it out of love for God and God's people. Your goal is to live in right relationship with Christ, and so you sacrifice, you deny yourself, you take up your cross, because it's worth it to achieve your goal. Several years ago, I experienced some stomach problems. I made an appointment with my doctor, who sent me off to have an endoscopy. After the procedure, when my head was returning to the land of the living, my doctor was there to greet me and tell me the news. Everything is fine, she said. We had a good look around and there are no problems. So it's just diet and exercise. <laughs> now by the sunny tone of her voice and the joyful look on her face, she clearly thought this was good news. <laughs> I saw it rather differently. 
diet and exercise? Really? Isn't there a pill you could give me? Or a simple procedure you could perform? Do I really have to change my lazy, gluttonous lifestyle? Uh, by the way, I managed to keep my lazy, gluttonous lifestyle hidden from the discernment community. If only there were a pill that made the self-denial unnecessary. If only they could send me to sleep for half an hour while they messed around on my insides and removed the need for sacrifices. If only God would do the same with being a Christian. Instead of having to take up my cross, couldn't he just do some miraculous thing in me while I slept? Then I'd wake up and I'm full of the Holy Spirit always and forever. Now for us, a cross is a piece of jewellery. It's made of gold and it glints in the light. Sometimes it's ornate. It's decorated with colours and gems. It's engraved with patterns and symbols. We hang it on a wall and place it on a roof. It's a thing of comfort to those of us who have faith in it. It tells of God's love, it speaks of his grace, it shouts in beautiful, strong tones the forgiveness that he has lavished on us. But try to forget for a moment what the cross means to us, and think about what it meant for Peter and the disciples. You remember in the Gospel reading that Jesus predicted his death in Jerusalem, and Peter rebukes him. A cross was a means of degrading, torturous execution, and that was all. Shame, humiliation, and a death violent beyond twisted imagination. It's easy to see why Peter should get defensive of Jesus. No, no, Master, we will never let this happen to you. If any of you wants to be my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what would it profit them if they gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? To which someone has added, they are no fools who give up what they cannot keep to gain what they cannot lose. We are dances with crosses, because we've looked at our frail humanity. We know we're dying, we feel the decay each morning when we rise, and we know that gaining the whole world is futile if we lose our souls. But we take up our crosses because it is the only way we're able to dance in the car. Clinging to our lives, demanding that we be in control, won't give us that freedom, joy, and passion. Dancing with the cross hurts. Denying ourselves brings pain. Laying down our lives sounds so crazy, but it is only in dying that we are born to new life. It's only those of us who have embraced our death who can dance in the car. Amen.